Payments is an industry that has an incredibly wide moat. Throughout my career, I've, I've evolved with payments technology. The world of financial services are you know, changing quite quickly. I always knew I was going to start my own company. Welcome to InCheck with FinTech. Welcome to a new episode of InCheck with FinTech, organized by PCN. My name is Rogier Roep van der Voort, and on this show, we interview people from the FinTech space, talk about the most exciting companies, hot topics, and the latest trends and developments. This week, we have John Trudeau, the CEO of Boku, on the show to talk about the opportunity called Mobile Wallets. Uh, John has more than 25 years of experience in the payments industry, and today he serves as the CEO of Boku which is the world's leading provider of mobile payment and identity solutions. Um, Boku recently published the world's largest mobile wallet report, in which they talk about the fast adoption of mobile wallets across the world, um, which is what we'll, we'll also be discussing and dive into more uh, today. John, welcome to the show. Yeah, really great uh, to be here. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Money 2020 is the premier show on the industry calendar where C-level executives, renowned speakers, innovators, and disruptors from across the world drive change in the future of money. In Amsterdam this September from the 21st to the 23rd, Money 2020 Europe will facilitate three remarkable days of the right conversations, the right connections, and the right discoveries, which enable individuals and organizations of all sizes to achieve their goals and grow. With the CEOs and founders of fintech giants and rising stars at the heart of the show, Money 2020 Europe has always been the platform for major industry launches and announcements. We at InCheck with Fintech are excited to be there in just a few weeks. We'll be recording live from the event and we want to see you there. I you know, first got involved with payments when I started with what was then a pretty small company. We weren't sort of working out of a shed in, in Silicon Valley, we were working out of a posh office in Kensington. But that turned out to be um, Visa in Europe. So I was an early employee there and sort of served you know, on the executive team uh, for about sort of 15, 16 years, looking after most of the new product developments that were done um, from uh, Visa over that period. W when I left Visa, obviously, uh, one of, I, I did various projects, you know, um, started to drive debit schemes, sort of worked on, uh, on an e-commerce platform. But one of the most interesting opportunities was this idea that, that I came across was about trying to buy things and, and charge it to your phone bill and turn the, turn the phone networks into a, a global payment system. And obviously that became Boku. Uh, I came on board uh, with the company in, in 2012 and you know, became CEO in 2014 and was able to take Boku through to the public markets in 2017 and to where we are today. You know, since then, of course, we've expanded, as you were saying in your introduction, from being a company that's just focused on helping people to buy stuff and charge it to their phone bill, to somebody who's sort of now embarked on this much larger mission, you know, monetizing the new middle class, the mobile first uh, internet generation, if you like, and doing that predominantly through wallets. Makes sense. That sounds exciting. You joined Voku in 2012. The state of kind of mobile wallet adoption was probably different than from where it is today. Is that fair to say? That's right. I mean, I think that I'm not sure exactly where you can trace it to. I think a lot of this is a, you know, is a product of globalization. But, you know, the real driver behind the changes has been you know, a change in the type of consumer that needs to be served. So, you know, the, the credit card networks, Visa and MasterCard did a pretty good job over 30, 40 years 
um, of you know, providing convenient payment tools to the old Western middle class. But in the last decade or so, um, you know, the size of the middle class has doubled. And, and, and these are sort of new consumers, but they're in sort of places like, uh, you know, Asia, in the Middle East, they're in Africa, they're in Latin America. And you know what? I mean, they've got, you know, mobile phones, but most of them don't have cards. And so wallets sort of sprung up in, in different places to be able to, you know, help these people to buy. Sometimes it's adjuncts to co uh, commerce platforms, sometimes it's adjuncts to messaging platforms, but it's been a period of incredible innovation over the course of the last uh, 10 years or so. And as I say, driven by the fact that there's new consumers who just want to buy stuff and the old tools, cards, haven't really been available to them. Yeah, I can imagine that we're probably only accelerate uh, moving forward, which probably ties in nicely with uh, the report you guys have, uh, have done. Can you maybe give an idea of kind of what, what does the report really tell us? Well, the report tells us that wallets are a big deal. I mean, they're a big deal because um, you know, this new middle class loves buying stuff with their mobile devices. And we crossed some really important thresholds recently. Uh, people like, you know, who are sort of in the West like to think the cards is the default way to pay online, but it's not. I mean, the growth of these wallets are such that the, that the most popular way of buying stuff online, and especially from your mobile device, is now one of these wallets. But, you know, the other thing about them is that they're not sort of aggregated together into a single coherent scheme like Visa or MasterCard. I mean, they're fragmented. They sit with sort of multiple wallets in multiple different countries, you know, generally domestic in nature. And, you know, the opportunity that is really revealed by this is that if a, a merchant wants to sell to these new consumers, these mobile first consumers, then they're kind of, it's too complicated just to go around plumbing them all up individually. And um, frankly, that's where the business opportunity arises for Boku, um, trying to be able to, to, to create a single interface to make accessing these new users convenient. So I guess wallets, whereas let's say uh, car payments or schemes is so defined, wallets is maybe way more broad and there's definitely differences across the globe. That's right. I mean, look, when I was at Visa, I kind of, you know, I woke up in the morning and thought about standards. I mean, you know, it was a sad thing to do, but it was, you know, somehow having standardization, having a common way of, of operating, uh, having a common way of processing, you know, that is, is something that has really made the, you know, the card payment system scale. You've got something like 20, 30,000 banks uh, whose customers can be accessed through the card networks. And the reason that can be done is there are common technical standards and there are common sort of financial processes that sit behind it. None of this exists for wallets. You know, each wallet has typically been developed independently uh, to different technical standards. The settlement you know, happens in, you know, in the country. And so you know, for a merchant wanting to access that network, you know, you've got to have to find a partner who can take that technical pain away to sort of just give you a single uh, API that can reach all of those uh, wallets in one go and get you the money back, which is a non-trivial thing. So, you know, we've had to do quite a lot of work, frankly, to build out sort of a network of regulated payment uh, capability, as well as just doing a lot of, of technical plugging in to try to make uh, these consumers accessible. And yeah, it's starting to, to really make a difference. Yeah, if we zoom in a bit, maybe into the different regions across the world, like in the uh, report itself, you talk about Southeast Asia, uh, which is one of the fastest growing mobile wallet regions uh, in the world, according to your findings. Why is that? Why is there so much adoption going on in that uh, region specifically? 
Yeah, to be honest, I think some of it does, you know, come back to the economic fundamentals. Um, you know, there's a bunch of people who are getting wealthier, who want to buy things, and they want to buy things online, and they haven't got um, a an instrument like a card to do so. And, and in many respects, frankly, the, the mobile wallet is just a better solution to the problem of buying things online. It's tied to your mobile device, which is always online. Um, in the face-to-face -face environment, you can use the camera in order to be able to you know, undertake a transaction. I mean, if you talk to people in this part of the world, um, uh, you know, who've never sort of used a payment card, they think it's sort of faintly bizarre that somebody would think that it was a good idea to come around with a rectangular piece of plastic, um, you know, even with a chip on it, and, and, and think that that was a better way of paying, that something was just so smoothly integrated into their life. And so, you know, these wallets are just somehow a better solution to, to, to that problem. And you see that in terms of, you know, the, you know, we talk in the report about the bifurcation of wallets between, you know, native ones that are in Southeast Asia and in Latin America, Middle East and, and Africa and so on. Um, and, but also, you know, in the West, you, you know, the, the closest you get to it is something like an Apple Pay or a Google Pay, which is trying to put a more um, convenient wrapper around the, you know, the card ecosystem. And when you use those products, I mean, it's just more convenient to use. It's just, it's just simpler. And that's the experience that people in Southeast Asia get natively. Makes sense. Yeah. And you're also saying, uh, basically, people in Southeast Asia are getting wealthier. So they want to buy more stuff, maybe online or using their mobile phone. And therewith, we also see an, an increased adoption. Is it maybe also because of companies like uh, Goyak, um, who are setting up their own wallets, who obviously are well known within that region? That's right, you know, and GrabPay and, and clearly within, you know, India itself, you've got companies like sort of Paytm and PhonePay who are just bringing sort of uh, financial services and the capability to be able to buy things online and face-to-face, -face, to transact electronically, to bring that to, to a far wider audience than the card schemes ever managed to penetrate. Is it as easy to say that the, the, the opportunity of, of mobile wallets for online merchants really means that they have more access to consumers? Or is there also another opportunity that we uh, need to talk yeah, about? I think it's, it's, it's been a process of evolution. Um, I mean, you know, you talk about sort of Gojek, Goyak maybe, who knows if your pronunciation is better than mine. My Indonesian isn't so great. Uh, but anyway, with um, Gojek, I mean, it, it sprung out of what was originally a transport app and they just needed to be able to have an electronic means of payment in order to be able to facilitate the ride sharing that they were uh, were selling. And you know, once you have a certain amount of commerce going through the platform, it turns out that, that the mobile wallet, the payment facility was incredibly useful. And it sort of left the confines, if you like, of the super app and started becoming valuable as a means of, of connecting people and helping them to buy things um, you know, off app as well. And, and you see that in a number of these wallets where it was created out of necessity and then became incredibly useful. Um, and, and you know, that may you could argue that in the sense of sort of WeChat Pay, which came out of a you know, messaging app in, um, in China, for example. You know, once it gets off the ground, once you give people the power to be able to buy things electronically, it's a bit, you know, it's unstoppable. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, well why is it? Because you also talk about credit cards, right? And I, I mean, I might be wrong. Um, this is just my personal view, but if you look maybe at the Western world, there's different, there is more use of, uh, things such as the credit cards and maybe the Eastern Europe, the, 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 the mobile wallet adoption is is higher. Is that fair to say, first of all? 
um, the, what do you say, the credit cards are higher in the West? or, or... Yeah, so the, the usual credit cards is higher in the Western world compared to the Eastern world, whereas in the Eastern world, there's more uh, wallet adoption. Oh, I think that's, that's definitely true. And, you know, I think what you're also seeing, just to take this sort of slightly off, off the topic of wallets, is you know, clearly you can see some disruption taking place of credit cards by newer methods as well. You collectively call as these BNPLs or buy now, pay later. Uh, you can see those capabilities coming out. I mean, most people want to buy stuff using money they've got, and occasionally they want to, you know, to buy stuff using money they've borrowed. And, and wallets have started to incorporate some of these buy now, pay later features, the ability to pay in installments as well. So it's not that the two are, um, you know, are, are in, incompatible. It's just more the fact that these. Uh, um, you know, wallets are a kind of more modern solution to some of these problems, and consequently, you can see them being adopted by, you know, by people, um, you know, more broadly and, and around the world. You know, credit card, you know, who knows? Maybe at some point we'll be looking back now and saying, well, credit card usage has peaked and yes. it has been displaced by um, by other means of accessing credit. Uh, there's definitely innovation going on, so it would make probably I would bet my money on the fact that the adoption of wallets will only increase and maybe the use of credit cards uh, might decrease uh, a bit more instead of uh, peaking. Well, that seems to be the, the, the direction of travel, certainly, that uh, you know, credit cards are more popular amongst an older demographic and yeah, BNPL you know, is seen as a, a more popular way of buying things um, for younger people. So generationally, maybe there's a shift. And you know, the fact that wallets are so flexible you know, definitely bodes well for wallets. Wallets are just you know, our report showed this clearly. They are the growing new uh, payment methods, which is in you know, being adopted, and particularly across this new you know, breed of consumer in Asia, Middle East, and Africa, and Latin America. But why is that, though? Is it um, because of are things such as user interface, um, are things such as maybe convenience? Um, I, well, are those all uh, reasons for consumers? more and more preferring to pay with their phone instead of their credit card? I think so. I mean, I think it's also just, you know, it's like to do with ease of distribution and sign up. I mean, underlying this, you see, just there's sort of a myth that, that, that you know, there's a lot of people who are unbanked. Well, people who are spending money here are generally banked. Um, there's been enormous progress in getting bank accounts to lots of people. And as people accumulate wealth, they want to put their money in banks. But accessing it, you know, if you're faced with the choice between signing up for a mobile app, which you're already doing for a whole series of other parts of your life, or whether you want to go through this process of, as I say, getting a sort of a, a rectangular piece of plastic, then it's just more convenient and it's just much more widely distributed. Um, the, the phone, you know, has a lot of uh, capabilities that make it easier to use and easier for the issuer to manage because it's always online. Uh, because it doesn't necessarily require special equipment in the merchant's point of sale. I mean, we've all through the pandemic, I think, seen QR codes having a renaissance in the West. Well, they were always a very popular uh, technology um, in, in these uh, um, you know, new middle class markets, if you like. Um, people are just printing out QR codes, sticking them on the merchant's till, and all of a sudden you're able to transact. You know, no need for specialized equipment that you would need within the card-based ecosystem. We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the fintech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, 
PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team, get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals. You talk about the mobile wallets in relation to the underbanked. I feel that that's where mobile wallets kind of came from. It's from the unbanked, like for example, what M-Pesa did really well in Africa, that the origin lies there. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's a fair point and that's probably the first iteration or the first generation of you know, so-called mobile money was very much uh, you know, stimulated by telcos and directed towards the unbanked. And in Pesa, when it started, of course, wasn't really a mobile wallet as we understand it now. It was essentially a money transfer scheme, a mechanism for getting you know, money from one person to another, rather than buying things uh, from, from merchants more generally. And you know, as the technology and, and, and the approach you know, evolved, I mean, it changed technically from the way in which M-Pesa was implemented. And of course, it also changed you know, commercially to the sort of wallets that we see today where you know, you're able to buy things you know, conveniently within smartphone apps and tie them in to you know, other things that those apps are doing as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now there's obviously hundreds, if not thousands of wallets across the world. Is there much difference between all wallets or is there a lot of similarities or yeah, how do they stand out from each other? I think they start in different places, but there's an extent to which they are sort of growing together. As you say, some are directed at the unbanked, many are not. I mean, many just will involve um, in an experience which involves linking your bank account to your wallet. And then when you go away and, and buy things, funds are just simply pulled through. Others that perhaps are in you know, more emerging markets will have you know, preload or, or capacity to be able to, to put funds within the wallet. And that might be a feature that's different. But you know, ordinarily, those are the type of features they support. But when you're tied in with super apps, you can definitely have these, uh, you have, um, if you like, these little applets or mini programs that run within apps. So there are some differences at the margin. But over time, I think what we're seeing is a convergence of function, you know, whether they came from the transport network, whether they came from messaging, whether they came to support, um, I don't know, a marketplace like Alipay out of Alibaba. You know, in the end, you know, people want to buy things, they want to be able to, to see the information about it, they want to do it contactlessly. And so all of these things have tended to converge in a common set of, of functions. So over time, I think they're, they're coming together rather than, than going apart, at least in the function they provide. And I guess maybe already having that kind of stable base of loyal consumers, let's say, uh, uh, for a uh, marketplace like uh, how Alipay started with Alibaba, um, probably is very important in the success and adoption of such a wallet, no? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that there are many part, I mean, payments, and you know, you were kind enough to say that I'd been working in payments for uh, 25 years. It's probably been a bit longer than that, actually, now. And, but <laughs> there are some sort of truths you take out of uh, being an old timer in this game. And one of them is that, you know, payments is a matter of critical mass. And, you know, how do you get to critical mass is basically how do you survive in payments? And there are many routes that, that wallets have, have found to getting to critical mass that makes them useful. Um, because, you know, in, as you say, with Alibaba, it was just the fact that the, you know, Alipay was linked to that marketplace. It gave it a critical mass. That's why people adopted it and signed up. 
And in some respects, the other sort of proto wallet, PayPal, you know, had the same relationship with eBay in the West. Um, but as I say, you know, there are other routes to critical mass uh, with uh, WeChat Pay or Line Pay. They both came out of messaging apps. The wonderfully named sort of Rabbit Line Pay in um, in Thailand sort of came out of a, a transit application. You know, whatever your route, once you've got to critical mass, then you can evolve into a much more generalized payment mechanism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. And with, with so many wallets around now, um, that obviously has an impact, I guess, on the on the way that people pay. Is there other ways in which wallets is changing the industry today? Um, well, I think we've been, I mean, I guess my characterization of this is that you know, wallets that have attained critical mass and are, are useful and used are ones that have really got big domestic bases. So, you know, an Indonesian wallet will be popular with Indonesian consumers and have a wide base of Indonesian merchants where you can make purchases, for example. And the same thing would be true in, I don't know, Thailand and Malaysia and you know, Brazil or Mexico or so on, all the various countries where wallets are popular. What we're seeing now is very much a, a, you know, a broadening of that utility when international or global merchants want to make their services available and for people to pay in, in the way that they prefer. In other words, with the mobile wallet that they're using for all their domestic purchases. So there's very much a kind of a, a migration to um, international merchants starting to make you know, their products available to be purchased using, using wallets that hitherto have mostly been domestic. And you know, as, I, as I said earlier, that is sort of one of the business opportunities we're going after. You know, if, if, if most of your potential target market wants to pay with a wallet, it's a bit daft if you just, expect, if you just accept cards. And you know, a lot of merchants are figuring that out. And so there's a bit of a land grab for global merchants to try to you know, hop on this um, you know, hop on this bandwagon of, of really in, in, increasing usage of wallets to buy things. Are merchants aware of this opportunity, or do you see a lot of merchants who still need a lot of education on the opportunity that is there with wallets? It clearly varies. I think you, there, there are undoubtedly merchants who are not particularly aware. I mean, if you, for most of your life, it's been a case of you know Visa, Mastercard. You know, PayPal and maybe Amex, then you know it, it takes a bit of um, uh, you know a, a bit of re-education, as you put it, for people to understand that actually you need to support this. You know, maybe 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 different wallets in different countries if you want to reach these consumers. But it's by no means you know a sea of ignorance. I mean, there's there are plenty of organisations who are pushing ahead with uh, multiple multiple wallet um, deployments and. Obviously, that's a, you know fertile ground for us. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. And and I read your article on the payments journal journey. Wow, the payments journal, uh, where you talk about how mobile wallets go beyond payments. Um, can you talk a bit more about that? Because I found that very interesting. Yeah, never realized that journal was a twin, uh, a tongue twister in Dutch. Me neither. Could be journal or something to it. Um, anyway, no. Where do wallets go beyond? I mean, it's part of this fact that you know wallets are part of, uh, or typically part of these super apps. That they are uh, tied into uh, um, a, a package of services that uh, is 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 bought or, or consumed you know, in in a single entity, which is different to the way in which payments have generally been offered. And if you think about a payment card, it, it doesn't do anything other really than help you sort of buy something to transfer money out of your account into that of the merchant. But many mobile wallets do, as we were saying, so many other things. 
I mean, they are part of, of a wider ecosystem that helps the merchant with discovery, uh, you know, their messaging processes, helps even with the distribution of products as well. And so this idea of sort of packaging and repackaging the way in which people buy things is a constant in innovation. And it's one of the things that wallets, I think, do incredibly well, is just not respect the boundaries about this is a payment mechanism and this is a marketing mechanism and this is a, you know, a messaging one. They combine all those things together and come up with ways that you know, make life just more convenient for people. Exactly. The, the most well-known for me is uh, how Klarna does that with indeed integrating everything um, from right. marketing to payments to the mm. whole, uh, whole shebang. Mm. That's right. um, great. And then if you, so one, one more question about the report. Uh, um, if you look at the differences across the world, right, do you see much differences in the way that mobile wallets look and operate, let's say, Europe compared to the U.S.? Um, well, I think that the, the, the true distinction is between Europe and the US and the rest of the world. Uh, the rest of the world uh, uses wallets which have sort of sprung up, as it were, without uh, an underlying sort of card-based infrastructure to support them. Yes, there's typically being bank accounts. Sometimes there's been sort of networks of sort of pop-up stations to support the wallets. But the source of funds um, is just you know, straight to the bank. Now, in the West, there's kind of an intermediating layer, which is the card rails, if you like, which have been uh, put in place. And so if you think of sort of Apple Pay or Google Pay, kind of the underlying idiom of the whole sort of system is you put a card into your wallet and then having you put the card in your wallet, you then go and you maybe choose it before you go away and spend. Well, in, um, in, in the wallets that are in you know, serving, as it were, the mobile first consumer, Typically, they will not have that sort of same idiom of being so, you know, a wrapper for cards. They will be a means of access to your bank account or indeed to some sort of prepaid, you know, source of funds. And, and people value them for all kinds of reasons. I mean, maybe it's a buffer between if they're worried about security, they, they can limit um, the amount that is spent. If they're worried about just being able to have convenient payment, then they'll just go right ahead and link their bank account. And so there's definitely a difference, you know, a bifurcation, as I say, between the West which had an existing payment in, in, in infrastructure onto which some of the convenience has been grafted by big brands. And then these sort of um, native wallets you know, springing up in Asia, Middle East, Africa, and Latin America, where the underlying consumer didn't have a card and so didn't need to sort of intermediate with the payment through the card rails. There's no legacy in place, basically, that's uh, the... Uh... Uh, with the consumers, right. and, so, yeah. and so you know, at that point, you, you know, much more of your payment behavior can be done through the mobile device. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. If, you know, last to modernize, you know, is is first to to take advantage of many of these type of tools, and you can see that in in the volumes you get through, you know, say, some of the Chinese wallets. I mean, you're you're talking about what you know, seventy two percent of purchases in a report I saw recently taking place on, on wallets in China online. I mean, it's, it's that it's the dominant you know, payment mechanism and it's growing very fast. Yeah, exactly. And it's clear that there's an opportunity there. And also that I think Boku is definitely an, a big player within that, uh, in that ecosystem. Now, I do have yeah. to highlight as well, uh, John, the fact that you guys recently announced uh, the, that you're launching an M1ST network. Can you talk a bit more about that? M1ST, otherwise known as MIST. Yes. Um, so it, it's, it's short for mobile first. and the, you know, the branding of, of, of the network is really intended to reinforce the fact that what we're trying to do 
is bring together um, you know, various different sort of wallets and indeed you know, other uh, popular payment methods like real-time banking uh, transfers and, and to, to provide a route for global merchants to reach those mobile first consumers. And frankly, some of the stats associated with what we've been able to put together on this, the, the mobile first payments network are staggering. We can reach, would you believe, 5.7 billion accounts through that route. Wow. And um, you know, that, that's, you know, that, that's, that's a staggering number. You know, it staggers me and it's been a big part of the whole process. And um, you know, some of those are through our sort of um, direct carrier billing locations, but about a third of them are definitely through wallets and, and through real-time pay, uh, banking payments. And that is, you know, continues to expand. You know, most of the you know, spending ultimately we think will come you know, through um, you know, wallets, you know, as the most popular payment mechanism. So we're really, Thrilled. I mean, we've, we've uh, integrated, I think it's something like 330 different payment mechanisms in 90 countries, but it's still the, the 5.7 billion that blows my socks off. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's amazing. So it's really designed basically to have uh, merchants accept mobile payments better, more quickly, more efficiently, and consumers to use those mobile wallets more at more places um, and also with more success. Yeah, if you, if you sort of scratch on the surface a bit, I mean, basically, MIST has got three components. I mean, one is, is that reach, you know, getting through to the 5.7 billion consumers. Secondly, we provide a bunch of technology that allows you to transact, whether that's just an API or whether you want to do subscription payments or, or even if you want someone to host the payment experience for you. But the other part, which is probably almost as important, is you know, getting the money out. Um, I mean, one of the difficulties in, in interacting with these wallets is the fact that you know, if you're transacting in, in, in Indonesia, the Indonesian wallet will pay you there, which is probably where the merchant doesn't want the funds to end up. And so we've had to sort of build you know, to accompany the technical reach, a whole series of regulatory structures that allow us to get money you know, from uh, more exotic parts of the world uh, hopefully in a way that it is very efficient and uh, you know, avoids um, you know, the, the application of withholding taxes so that the maximum value can go back to our merchants in the countries and currencies of their choice. So the regulatory part is, is just as important. And you know, alongside that, you know, the, the, the stats on reach, I think I'm, I'm, I'm particularly impressed with the fact we've got uh, something like the, the 49 countries now where we have the capability of processing regulated payments and that's been another sort of huge part of, of what's made this network missed you know attractive to merchants very exciting um great john well thanks for sharing your views to give the uh, listeners some more insights into uh, into mobile payments is there some some closing remark you want to leave the listeners with uh, no i think you asked all the great questions and there's not <laughs> much more for me to say um, i shall just uh, remember to say go yak in the future rather than go jack Thanks very much, John. Great to have you uh, on the show. Um, and if people want to find out more about the report that we discussed, uh, they can go to boku.mobilewallet.report and can download the full reports there and get all the insights um, that we scratched on or touched on today with, uh, with John. Um, and uh, tune in next week again for another episode of InCheck with FinTech. Thanks for listening this week. We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the FinTech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, 
or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team. Get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals.